We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. This podcast celebrates generosity at work, not financial giving. Giving valuable time, mutual respect, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Our special guest today is Kenneth Wong. The multidimensional Kenneth Wong represents the promise as well as the reality of one of America's founding principles as he opens new avenues for business opportunity and active civic engagement. Ken is the principal of NavPak Advisors, LLC, which brings a wealth of knowledge and experience to both the U.S. and China markets. NavPak Advisors, under Ken's leadership, assists U.S. entities to navigate through the complexities of developing strategies and building working relationships in China. For over 30 years, Ken can be credited with combining his business acumen, cross-cultural facility, and focused management tactics to establish CIG Asia, a successful Philadelphia-based national property and casualty insurance brokerage firm. Ken's commitment to full inclusion of Asian Americans and new Americans living, working, and doing business in the United States in general, and in the Delaware Valley in particular, has landed him in numerous leadership positions. In the early 2000s, he was appointed by President George W. Bush to serve as a commissioner on the President's Advisory Commission for Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders, where he focused on economic strategies and community development. In 2012, Governor Tom Corbett of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania appointed Ken to the chairman of his advisory commission for Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. Ken's agenda included both economic and leadership development for the Asian American and Pacific Islander communities. In 2017, Ken was appointed by Acting Secretary of the Army, Mr. Robert Speer, as a civilian aide to the Secretary of the Army. In this role, Ken is a liaison between the Office of the Secretary of the Army and the citizens of the United States. In addition, he's very active and generous as a civic leader locally. He lives in Philadelphia and is the father of two daughters. Welcome to ROG, Ken. Thank you, Shannon. Sometimes it's a, it's a little bit humbling and a little bit embarrassing when somebody reads portions of my CV. I, sometimes I don't realize how old I might be getting because I've, I've been able to have the opportunities to do all these different things in life. Well, thank you for all of your service and the ways that you have made such a huge contribution. I mean, this is just the tip of the iceberg on what you've been doing. Thank you for investing time with us to teach us about your story and what's been going on and and how we can help the Asian Americans in our country to feel protected and respected. So can you tell us a little bit of your story? I'm the the oldest of four children. You know, my parents uh, immigrated into the United States in the 1950s, um, my, my family has an interesting history in that my great-grandfather actually came to the United States in the 1800s uh, to work on building the railroad. He, had, uh, he was one of the few Chinese that actually had the opportunity to return back to China after the railroad was done, where, where many Chinese were, um, you know, stayed in the United States because they had nothing else to go back to, or they, they spent all their money, that what little money they had, and they couldn't get back. And then my grandfather came to the United States and my father and my two aunts were born here. But then when they were just infants or or toddlers, the great depression hit. My grandfather returned to China with his family 
And so my father didn't return back to the United States until about 1950. He escaped communist China and made his way to the United States. And, and it always boggles my mind how a man who couldn't read or speak any English was able to get on a Greyhound bus and travel cross country to Philadelphia because my father had an uncle that lived in Philadelphia. And it's, it's just amazing. I mean, I would ask him, like, how did you know when to get off? Or he said he would just watch people. And if he had to go to the bathroom, he would just do it really quickly and get back to the bus so he wouldn't miss that the bus wouldn't leave without him. So um, it really was a, a, a lesson to me. And um, if you have something set in your mind, you can figure out how to accomplish it, no matter what the odds are, no matter what the challenges may be, you can figure it out. You know, as a human being, you're, you're, you have the God-given talent of a brain um, and just utilize all your senses, right? But so that's, that's a, so for all intents and purposes, you know, my, my parents were immigrants. My mother came to the United States. Uh, my father went to Hong Kong to meet her through relatives matchmaking, and he married my mom and then returned back to the United States. And then I was born in South Philadelphia. When I was a toddler, we moved up to Northeast Philadelphia in the Oxford Circle area. You know, I'm about, I'm about as all American as, as GI Joe. And, but for some reason, you know, I, I was reminded often that, I wasn't as Irish as my friends. And it was a time when most of the men, fathers, uncles, grandfathers there, they, they all served in World War II or the Korean War. So some of them didn't really have great experiences with Asians. But for the most part, you know, they treated my family very nice. My father had a laundry, he had a Chinese laundry, but also growing up and seeing, you know, how difficult it was to run a business as an Asian American. For the most part, you know, he did well with it. Family grew the business and expanded into a lot of other, other things. But, you know, I was fortunate to, to have some great mentors growing up. So, you know, I was able to, to get a great education at, at Central High School here in Philadelphia and then go off to, to Penn State and, you know, was able to participate as, a, as an athlete at the Penn State. Honestly, sometimes I, I'm pretty sure I can, I can say I was a, probably a better athlete than a student. I actually went to Penn State originally, uh, you know, to play soccer. Then I got hurt my freshman year, and then I, I finished the year as a varsity fencer. So I was on the fencing team. No kidding. And how few Asian Americans were there in D1 athletics at that time? Um, I think I might've been the only one. Not sure. How are you processing and dealing with what's been happening to the AAPI community? You know, Shannon, that's probably one of the hottest topics of conversation right now with, you know, I'm fortunate to have a lot of great uh, friends around the country and around the world. And I've, I've been getting lots of uh, communications from people asking how I'm doing, um, anything happening. You know, I haven't had any direct experience with anything negative, nor my family, but I know that there's a lot of other people who are experiencing some bad experiences. And Shannon, uh, you know, honestly, I, I think that people really need to understand out there, your listeners need to understand that this has been happening for decades. There's been a lot of crimes committed against Asians now they're saying that the statistics have quadrupled or whatever it may be. The, the incidences, the reported instances have gone up. I'm sure the, some of the incidences have increased. This has been going on for decades. But right now, because due to social media um, and the media in general, um, it's, it's coming to the forefront. Sometimes it's, it's difficult for Asian Americans themselves, um, especially if uh, English is not their primary language. It's, it's sometimes it's very difficult for them to articulate certain things. 
And then we have people who are just, frankly, you know, uneducated and clueless about a lot of things. And they want to blame Asians for all sorts of things. I think 2020 was a difficult year for everybody. Um, economically, I think the with unemployment rates being the way they are and, and um, the economy being the way it is due to the pandemic, I think it's created a lot of stress out there. It's created a whole level of PTSD in the civilian world um, that we haven't seen yet. And people are lashing out. People are frustrated. They're expressing their, themselves you know, in a negative fashion. And Asian Americans have, have always been sort of the the, uh, the image of being passive, being weaker, they're not going to make a fuss, they're not going to report the crime, all that kind of stuff. So Asians, a lot of times become the perfect victim for them because they think they can get away with things. And it's, it's sad. It's sad that there are people out there that think that way. You know, the, the community, um, and when I say the community, I'm not just talking about AAPIs, the community as a whole, the citizens of Philadelphia, um, for the most part, are great people. They've rallied around um, the community in support. Um, but the, the community itself has to start taking steps to, to take care of themselves as well. And we also need to teach and educate people about Asian Americans and, and their experiences. Um, it recently, in 2018, I was part of a group of people that we were able to get Congress you know, to unanimously approve the Congressional Gold Medal for the Chinese and Chinese Americans who served in, in, uh, in World War II. You know, that's a pretty, that's, 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 it must be pretty good to get Congress to all vote the same way. But yeah, I actually agree on something. <laughs> um, but here, you know, in, in, in World War II, when the war broke out, the United States was still living under the Chinese Exclusion Act, which did not allow Chinese to become citizens, own property, um, basically violated every civil rights that, that they can possibly have. They, that law, which is the only law that was ever passed by Congress against a particular group of people, was still in force. But even that, even with the law being the way it was, of the, um, of the 20 some odd thousand Chinese that served, which represented about 20% of the eligible population of Chinese that could serve, the national average was only 6%. But 20% of the Chinese served, of that 20%, 40% of them weren't even citizens. But because of their service and with advocates in the United States, uh, Congress felt it was the right thing to do to repeal that act in 1943. A lot of those folks that were not citizens when they joined the armed forces became citizens. And when they returned to the United States, they were eligible for all the benefits of the GI Bill. Many of them got their college education um, and went on to do great things here in the United States. Yeah, it wasn't until 2018, which is incredibly recent, that they received gold medals for their service. Right. It wasn't really even acknowledged until recently. That's incredible. Wow. Well, you know, it, and again, it's it's part of the, the community itself, too. Um, I tell people, listen, we we need to advocate for ourselves, um, advocate in a fair and equitable manner. But we need to advocate for ourselves because if we don't tell our story, who's going to tell our story? Grateful to Ken and everyone who share their stories and history. 
Let's take in what Ken just shared. Of the roughly 20,000 Chinese and Chinese Americans who served in World War II, 40% were not even citizens due to the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882. In 2018, 75 years after World War II, US Senate Bill 1050 was signed and recognized these veterans with the Congressional Gold Medal, the highest award given by Congress to these men and women who served in the US Armed Services. How did the AAPI voices get heard? Ken will explain when we come back. Introducing the brand new QuadPod Podcast Network. We're adding new podcasts every day. Visit QODPOD.com and meet our podcasters. That's QODPOD.com. And we're back with Ken Wong, explaining the origin of the Chinese American World War II Veterans Recognition Project. See show notes for the link to their website for more information. So it was something that was long waiting to do. And a friend of mine who um, was the president of a national organization whose father served in World War II, he, he took that on as one of the missions of the organization to start to advocate for that. The organization is actually called CACA, which stands for Chinese American Citizens Alliance out in California. That was actually started in 1888 as an answer to the Chinese Exclusion Act to advocate um, and defend the civil rights of Chinese here in the United States. And that organization has chapters throughout the United States, but um, uh, my friend Ed was able to organize that, that organization. And, you know, we had a number of volunteers that would take their own time at their own expense. We would, we would spend days down at, in Washington, walking the Hill, visiting every Senator, every Congressman, talk to them to give them the story and to solicit their support for the bill then when it got to the floor, um, it, was, it was passed and President Trump uh, signed it into law um, 18 December 2018. My goodness. Wow. Because I was curious to get some historical references. How, like, how did we get here? And you're helping us to see what are some of the realities in our past. And, you know, this is going on centuries that that Asian Americans have been confronted with this kind of other an alien status, even when they were certifiably, legitimately born and raised here, full American, as American as it gets. And that not until really recently was this legislation passed to, to protect and to honor them. What else do we need to learn? Like, I, I feel like I've missed either several years of history or perhaps that just wasn't taught. So what, what are some of the missing pieces of history? like the ones you just shared, that we all need to understand and appreciate to really understand what's going on? Well, I mean, the, some of the, the things that I think people really need to also understand is that, you know, the term Asian and Asian Americans, it, 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 it's like saying, you know, Europeans. It's, it's a very, very diverse group of people, different languages, different cultures, different histories, whether it's Korean, Vietnamese, Cambodian, Laotian, Indonesian, Indian, um, you know, and there's parts of the world that are considered Asia that people don't even realize are Asia, you know, like Afghanistan and in some of these places they're, they're considered, you know, Asia. So understanding that one size doesn't fit all and that we are very, very different and diverse people. And listen, we don't get along with each other sometimes. So again, no different than anybody else. Are these the things that are uh, 
creating some of the stereotypes and the dehumanization that you see in in our world today like the these historical references are helpful to say this isn't new for anybody that's like what's what's going on with the asian american community lately and it's like well it's in the news more lately but the the challenges are historic what would you say has led to some of the negative stereotyping and the ways in which people have been treated as other when I was with the White House, um, you know, we, we, we were dealing with a, a term, you know, we, we refer to as the model minority myth that um, all Asian Americans, you know, they're, they're, they're super smart. Um, they're great in math and sciences. They all go to Ivy League schools. They all make a lot of money. That's really the farthest thing from the truth, because at that time, a very, very large percentage of the Asian community in the United States are living under the poverty level. It's not a simple answer of how we got here, and it's not going to be a simple answer of how we're going to move on from here in a, in a productive and, and, and positive manner. But as long as, as, long as people are, are talking to one another, that's a great start. So when they stop talking, that's when things turn ugly because nobody knows what each other's thinking. Exactly. And we're making judgment and we're having perceptions of situations that are likely very inaccurate. And so if we're not having conversations and we're not opening up our minds to learn and continually understand, then we're never going to get anywhere. It's just going to get worse, really, and more of a divide, which is intolerable. Yeah, I can remember as a kid growing up, I was the oldest of four children and you know, I'm the oldest brother and I have to make sure everybody's protected. But every day it was it was a fist fight. And one of the funniest stories I remember wasn't funny at the time, but I got into a fight with a kid and, and we were fighting on this lady's front lawn and we're just wailing away at each other. And she comes out and we're not stopping. She gets her garden hose out and she starts hosing us down within minutes. The grass is all slippery. It's all muddy. We're laying on the ground and now we're just exhausted from fighting and we can't even stand up because it's so slippery and we just laid there for like another 10 minutes and we literally got up and walked away no words no words spoken other other than that you know i guess that's why i I got so heavily involved in playing sports because you know i had to find a, a common ground and i had to you know for better words find a level playing field so i got involved in sports you know, through high school and, and through college, just to show people that um, the stereotype of Asians, you know, we, you know, we're good in a lot of things, but we're not athletic, you know, wanted to, to change that, that stereotype, and then, you know, hopefully set an example as a high school student and as a, as a college student. And, you know, to use your story and example as a metaphor, I mean, how frequently are we in those fistfights, be it on social media, or hopefully not physically in in the street, but we've known that that is happening also. And we just fall from exhaustion because we're so overwhelmed by everything that's going on, including this moment that we're in right now. And then sometimes we just walk away. And I, I, in my imagination, it would have been so cool if while the two of you were laying there on that soggy lawn that you just leaned over and shook each other's hand and said, let's just agree to disagree or let's just respect each other as peers and move on. But I think sometimes we we end the fight or the prematurely and we don't actually circle back and say, now that we got that out of the way and we spewed whatever we said or we did whatever we did, let's try to understand why do I feel the way that I feel about this or why does this trigger me so much or why do I anger you so much? And that would be more helpful, I think, for us to be more curious about how we're affecting people and how we can learn from that. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right, Shannon. Um, 
social media is a wonderful thing, but social media is also, um, in my opinion, it's being weaponized. Once you write something on social media and you hit that send button, it's out there. The hurt that it causes occurs. And no matter how much somebody will say, I apologize, I'm sorry, you know, that hurts there and it, it lasts a long time. And that post is out there for a long time too. It's, it's like the old saying, you know, when you write something in, a, in an emotional point, okay, if you write it, don't hit the send button, close it, you know, and come back to it the next day. If you still feel the same way, well, you know, whatever it may be, but I think people have to be careful about what they say uh, to one another because, you know, words can be as hurtful as, as a bullet, as a knife. And uh, it's also doesn't, you don't look good either. When you say hurtful things, it really makes you look pretty bad. I, I don't understand at all, actually. I don't know what the value is. I don't know how anybody feels good about that. I don't know how your perception is that you are doing something honorable or you're standing up for something. It's something I, I just literally don't understand. I think we, we have to go back to some very old traditional things like integrity, credibility, and honor. And I think, again, with a lot of things that have happened with our economy and unemployment and, and so forth and so on, I think, uh, um, I think we've kind of lost that moral compass. I'm certainly not going to give up on it, but I think people need to be conscious of it. And I think we need to work together as a society, as a country, to try to get people back on some good moral footing and foundation. This country has gone through a lot of challenges and we've come through it successfully. We, we can do it again. We can do it again. It's strong leadership. It's going to take people who are willing to be generous of their time because we have to give of ourselves before we can ever expect to get anything back. Yes, so true. And so is that how you see us moving on beyond this dark period, how we can actually be stronger as a result of what we're going through collectively? And I mean that collectively. You're saying, you know, our Asian American community, we've got our own work to do within ourselves and our Philadelphia community. We've got our work to do as our American community. Right. So it's like these small communities of one to one relationships and then the full experience worldwide. But we're specifically talking about life in America right now. You're saying that we need to be generous with our time, with our curiosity, with our investment and in learning and sharing and also our willingness to rethink, to think again, to challenge ourselves, to reframe. And, and as we're learning to challenge our own beliefs that are affecting our behaviors. And so you're saying that you're really generosity is a component of the solution. It is, Shannon. I mean, the most valuable asset that a person can have is their time. We can make decisions as to how we invest our time. Do I want to invest into not just my future, my children's future, my grandchildren's future, the future of my community, or do I say, I don't have, I don't have time for that and walk away. Being generous with your time, whether it's with your family, whether it's with your coworkers, your next door neighbor, that's, that's a very important decision for people to make. It's a very conscious decision, but it's an important decision that you have to think about. I, I used to send out little notes to thank people for different things. You know, and I don't do that anymore. I'll pick up a phone and I'll call somebody and just say, thank you. And usually they're like caught off guard. And I said, listen, I, I did it the other day. I, I talked to a young gal that I knew when she was in high school. And now she's a um, first lieutenant, you know, with the Marine Corps as a pilot. And we talked on the phone first time in years. I was so impressed with the type of person she turned out to be. 
and that with all of her, I mean, she could easily get a job in corporate America and do a great job, but she is serving our country. I decided, you know, after I got off with her, I thought for a second, you know, because her father, you know, her father pretty much raised her as a single parent. I called her father up just to say, you know, you did a great job. Thank you for raising a daughter that is willing to sacrifice herself. I couldn't write that in a note. So taking the time to, to do that, I felt was important. And I think we have to be conscious of where we want to invest our time and where we want it to be generous with it so that we are making a difference and we become force multipliers because when we do that, somebody's thinking, that was really nice. Maybe I should do that. And then it becomes a snowball effect. Absolutely, Ken. Think about that. As a parent, that's the call that you hope you get someday, that somebody was so profoundly affected by your child or somebody who you influenced. Maybe it's not your direct kin, but it's somebody who you had some part in making them who they are or influencing them. And you get a phone call from somebody who's so touched and in awe of what that person's doing with their gifts and talents and thanks you for it. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. It really doesn't, right? Because it has something to say about when we invest in people, those people go on to do great things. Like you're saying, it's this multiplier. And then those great things affect all of these other people. And we don't have a way to measure that. We have no idea what that's doing out there until we get a phone call and we hear someone's appreciation. You know, and Shannon, it's simple as a simple thank you. You know, you're at a restaurant and somebody brings you something. What does it take to thank that server for bringing over a fork? Something very simple, very minor, but just thanking them. I mean, acknowledging their presence, acknowledging their service, acknowledging their value, what they're doing for you. I mean, what does it take that that's, it's a very, very simple thing. And, And I think if we just communicate more openly to everybody around us. I feel appreciated by that guy. I don't even know him, but I feel appreciated. I feel better. I feel good. You make people feel better very, very easily by just being generous with one iota to say something, to acknowledge them, to thank them. Um, It's something like, like we said earlier in our conversation, it's something that everybody can do. I'm not reinventing the wheel and I'm not out with anything new. It's something that we all know. We just have to put it into practice more often. And I think that right there is our takeaway tip. At the end of every ROG episode, we share a takeaway tip in a way that our listeners can apply what they've learned in their own work and lives. And this is the one, Ken. I think this idea of treating and respecting people the way you want to be treated, being civil, appreciative. I mean, these things that you're talking to us about are pretty easy to do. And you can have a civil conversation with somebody that you disagree with how you treat somebody, I would hope that you would treat your other people the way you would treat your own mother, your own father, as long as you have a good relationship with them. (laughs) But we all want to be treated well and respectfully. So why can't we do that towards somebody else? It makes for a great work atmosphere. It makes for a great community. And it's very, it's really, really very simple, simple to do. Absolutely. So that's, uh, that's our encouragement to everyone listening today is to have those civil, respectful conversation, in particular with people who you don't agree with. I think those are the more challenging ones and the more rewarding ones. If you can approach that with humility to say, I don't know everything, but I'm open and I want to learn. And we have a different point of view. And I think I have something I can learn from you. 
and maybe I could offer you something, but that's not a requirement of the conversation because you're initiating it and we can't expect anyone to be as open-minded as we might intend to be in those conversations. But you're saying, have it anyway, treat people with respect and dignity. And like you said, it makes you feel good. It's it's actually a little bit selfish in a way because it makes us feel so good. I, I tell that to people a lot because I, you know, I do a lot of volunteer work and I do a lot of things as a civilian aide to the secretary of the army. And people always ask me, you know, why do you, why do you do so much of this stuff? You know, I tell folks, first of all, I'm really blessed to have a great team of people that work with me at, at my companies. And they actually allow me to do the things that I enjoy doing. And, um, and then I tell them, and I do it for a selfish reason. Just like you said, it makes me feel good. When you, when, when you do something nice for somebody, you feel good. Well, I like to make myself feel good by helping other people. Um, and then I, when they say, what, what can I do for you? I said, I'm really great. Just pay it forward to somebody else. Um, and I've gotten, I've gotten notes from emails and text messages from people. Mr. Wong, I took your advice. I paid it forward to somebody else. And you're right. It feels great. Mm, yes, 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 yes. Well, speaking of doing kind things for others and volunteering your time, thank you for contributing to this really important podcast series, the AAPI Voices. You're an incredible leader in person. We're grateful for your service to our country and grateful for your citizenship and the, the man that you are in this world. Shannon, you know, thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to spend some time with you and have a nice conversation and be able to share some of my story and hopefully that will inspire some people to go out and, and do some great things um, for their community and for, for our country. Absolutely. Let's all get out there and pay it forward. Thanks for listening to ROG return on generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.